Psalm 138, and this is the word of the Lord. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. And now let's turn to John chapter 20, verses 22 through 30 for our New Testament reading. And in this passage, we hear of the wonderful security that we have as those who belong to Christ as his sheep. He is our good shepherd. And he who gave us eternal life will keep us uh, in his love and care until he brings us home to be with him. John chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This morning, as we continue our study of the order of salvation, the subject that we are considering today is perseverance, perseverance. And perseverance is that work of God's grace by which he enables us to persevere, to endure, to continue on um, in faith in Christ throughout this life until the day that the Lord takes us home uh, to be with Christ forever. That is perseverance. Uh, Many, many years ago, when I was a high school and and college student, um, I ran track and my events were the long distance events, uh, the 5K in college, it was the 5K, and uh, the 10K, which is uh, three miles and six miles. And at our track meets, I was, a little, I was always a little envious of uh, my teammates who were sprinters because uh, their uh, events would be over in about 15 seconds. Uh, whereas in my event, I was running lap after lap after lap in a seemingly endless race. And I thought it must be nice to put all your effort into one short burst of speed and then it's all over. You can go back to hanging out with your friends 
on the bleachers. But one thing that long distance running does have going for it is that it is a far more accurate picture of the Christian life uh, than a sprint. Uh, The race of faith is not at all like a sprint, uh, one short burst of speed and then it's all over, but the race of faith is much more like a marathon. Uh, Day after day, week after week, year after year, decade after decade, as a Christian, you are called throughout your life daily to trust in Christ, uh, to fight against sin, uh, to pursue righteousness, to obey the word of God, to walk by faith. And so the Christian life is a lifelong endeavor. And we don't enter into that promised eternal rest until the day that the Lord takes us home. And because the Christian life is a marathon and it's not a sprint, we are confronted with the question sometimes, will I make it? Will I endure to the end? If you're about to run a hundred meter dash race, uh, you're not concerned about whether you will finish the race or not. That's not really a question. Of course, you're going to finish the race. It is so short. But if you're about to start a marathon, that is very much a question in your mind. Will I be able to finish? Will I have the strength, the endurance to keep running all 26 miles? And maybe you've asked yourself the same question about your faith in Christ. Will I be faithful to the end in whatever trials and difficulties, whatever adversity that the Lord in his providence sends my way in this life? Will I continue to walk by faith in Christ? Will I trust in the Lord Jesus? Will I bear the cross of Christ? I'm a Christian today, but will I die a Christian? And thankfully, praise the Lord, God has given us his answer to that question in his word. And that answer is a resounding yes, yes. One of the most precious promises that God makes to you and me in the scriptures is his promise of perseverance. And that is, if you belong to Christ by faith, God promises that you will remain in his love and in his grace until the day that he brings you to your eternal home with Jesus in glory. Uh, To put it another way, as a Christian, you cannot lose your salvation. And the first thing I want to do as we consider this promise, this grace of perseverance, is to ask the question, is it really the case that a Christian cannot lose his salvation? In other words, can I really truly believe In this grace of perseverance, that if I belong to Jesus Christ today, I will belong to him forevermore. And this is a question that we naturally ask because there appears to be so much. And the word, the key word there is appears. There appears to be so much evidence that Christians can, in fact, fall from a state of grace, that believers can lose their salvation. We have all known people who have seemed from all appearances, to be very committed, faithful Christians. Perhaps you have known someone whose faith you even admired, whose faith you emulated. And yet, the last thing that you expected is what happened. That person ended up walking away from the faith. He turned his back on Christ. He renounced the faith that he once embraced. 
Uh, there's even a buzzword today, today to describe the seemingly, uh, supposedly, large number of people who have left evangelical churches in recent years. They are called exvangelicals. And although this word is new, uh, the reality of people who once uh, professed faith in Christ, who once lived a seemingly a Christian life, who embraced the Christian faith, there have always been people who once walked with Christ and yet turned away from him and rejected him. And this has been the case ever since the days that Jesus himself lived on earth during his earthly ministry among us. Uh, the very first exvangelical, or to use a more biblical term, the very first apostate, was none other than one of the hand-picked disciples of Jesus himself. Of course, it was Judas Iscariot. Uh, consider Judas. He was chosen by Jesus. He personally knew Jesus. He literally walked with Jesus for three years. He was one of his trusted disciples. He was the treasurer. And yet at the very end, as we know, he betrayed the Lord. And the Bible also mentions others after the death and resurrection of Christ in the early church. Others among the first Christians who ended up walking away from the faith in Second Timothy. In First Timothy, rather, we learn of Hymenaeus and Alexander. Paul says they made a shipwreck of their faith. And in Second Timothy, Paul describes uh, a, trust, a once trusted friend, Demas, uh, whom he says was in love with this present world and has deserted me. And presumably, because he deserted Paul, he also deserted Christ. One of the more sobering scenes in John Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress is when uh, Christian and Hopeful are talking with the shepherds. And the shepherds uh, show Christian and Hopeful, two pilgrims who are on their way to the celestial city, uh, the shepherds show them a door in the side of a hill. And they tell them to look into this door. And this is how Bunyan describes what happens. They looked in, therefore, and they saw that within... It was very dark and smoky. They also thought that they heard there a lumbering noise as of fire and a cry of some tormented and that they smelt the scent of brimstone. Then said Christian, what means this? The shepherds told them, saying, this is the byway to hell, a way that hypocrites go in at, namely, such as sell their birthright with Esau, such as sell their master with Judas, such as blaspheme the gospel with Alexander, and that lie and dissemble with Ananias and Sapphira, his wife. Then said hopeful to the shepherds, I perceive that these had on them even every one a show of pilgrimage as we have now, had they not? And the shepherds said, yes, and held it a long time too. There are many in the scriptures. There are many uh, that we know from our own experience that have a show of pilgrimage, that appear to be faithful Christians, walking with the Lord Jesus, serving Christ, even for a long time. And yet, they end up not in heaven, but they take this byway to hell in their apostasy and rejection of Christ. And the Bible not only gives us examples of apostasy, but there are places in Scripture where it seems... Again, the key word there is seems, but there are places in Scripture where it seems to say that true believers in Christ can lose their salvation. 
For example, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. When we read this, we think to ourselves, why does God include this warning in the scripture if it's not possible for a Christian to lose his salvation? What else can this be describing is what we think when we read those words. However, despite that, The Bible is very clear, mercifully clear, wonderfully clear that for someone who is one of God's elects, for someone who has been called by the grace of God, for one who has been regenerated by the spirit of God, for one who has been justified and adopted as a child of God, for that person, for one who is genuinely united to Jesus Christ by faith, for one who belongs to Christ, for that person, there is the promise the certainty of perseverance, that that Christian will remain in the grace, the favor, and the love of God until the very end. Jesus speaks of this promise of perseverance in the words that he spoke in John chapter 10. Jesus declares there in verses 27 through 29, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Jesus' sheep will never fall away from Jesus. And he says, no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. So here is an amazing truth for you as a Christian. That you are not only secure in the hand of Jesus. But you are also secure in the hand of the Father, who is greater than all. And if no one can snatch you out of the hand of the Son of God, then how much more is it true that no one can snatch you out of the hand of the Father? You are secure as a believer in Christ and the love of Christ and of the Father. You are in his hands. And there are many, many other verses in Scripture that plainly clearly proclaim to us this truth of perseverance, of the impossibility of a Christian to fall from grace. And let me just read a few. John 6, 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. It is God's will that Jesus will lose nothing that is nobody that God has given to him. He doesn't lose a single one. Romans 8.30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There is an unbreakable chain of grace here in this passage. If a person has been called of God, if he has been chosen by God, he will most definitely, most certainly also be glorified by God at the end when the Lord returns. Romans eleven twenty nine. 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God does not change his mind. He does not take back what he gives, but he gives salvation forever. Philippians 1, 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion 
at the day of Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3.3, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Not even the devil himself, who is far greater than us, who is far more powerful than you and me, not even the devil can take us out of the love of the Father. 2 Timothy 4.18, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so God's word is wonderfully clear. It is unambiguous on this promise that if you belong to Jesus Christ by faith, God will give you the grace to persevere in that faith until the very end. He will give you the grace uh, to carry on, to continue in faith, walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as a Christian, you cannot lose your salvation. You cannot lose what God has given to you in Christ. It is yours now. It is yours throughout this life. It is yours forever. But if that is the case, then what do we make of these examples in Scripture of those who seem to be Christians and yet they fell away from Christ or people that we have known who seem to be devoted believers and yet they turn their backs on Christ? What do we make of these passages in Scripture that seem to talk of apostasy for Christians? How do we explain a Judas or a Demas and so on? The truth is that those who seemingly fall away from Christ, they were never truly in Christ to begin with. Those who appear to have apostatized from Jesus were never truly, they never truly belonged to Christ. They were never his. And though, to use the words of Hebrews, though they may have tasted the heavenly gift, though they may have shared in the Holy Spirit, though they may have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, uh, to put it another way, although these people may have shared in some limited way in the spiritual realities of the Christian life, nevertheless, they were never truly regenerated. They never belonged to Christ by faith. They were never united to him. They were always outside of Christ. Their hearts were never truly changed. And therefore, they're walking away from Christ was only the natural outworking of the reality that they never really belonged to Jesus. And so it's not the case that there are Christians who once were saved and yet they lost their salvation. It is not the case that there are those who came to possess eternal life, but then they lost that eternal life. Rather, those who have turned their backs on Christ never really knew Christ. And that's exactly what 1 John 2.19 tells us. 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might be complained, that it might become plain that they were not, that they all were not of us. And so, can you believe in this doctrine of perseverance? Absolutely, you can, because the scriptures teach it. But not only that, you must believe in this teaching of perseverance, not only because the scriptures teach it, but because the character of God demands it. Now let's consider how each of the three persons of the Trinity, how each of the three persons of the Godhead, how they each work in order to bring us salvation and to keep us in that salvation. First is the work of God the Father. It is the Father who chooses us. He elects or chooses those whom he will save in Jesus Christ. Uh, this is the work of predestination. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And so as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are one who has been chosen, set apart before creation, before you existed, in order to inherit salvation in Jesus Christ. That is the grace that the Father gave you even before he created you. Listen uh, from the Old Testament. Listen how the Lord declares his love for his chosen people, the people of Israel. Jeremiah 31, 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. This is the same love that the Father has for you and me in Jesus Christ. It is an everlasting love. You can go back in time, before time, to all eternity past, and we are the recipients, the objects of the love of the Father. And we can go into eternity in the future, and we will be the recipients, the objects of the love of the Father. It is an everlasting love. It is a predestinating love. And for that reason, his faithfulness will continue for, to, towards his people forever and ever. God the Son, the Son of God, he works for our salvation in many ways, but here are two ways. First of all, Jesus died the death that we deserved. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, when he was crucified, there he received in himself that wrath, the condemnation that we deserved. He bore your guilt, your sin. He bore the death or he endured the death that was rightfully ours. And if that's the case, if the Son of God has paid the penalty for your sins, if the Son of God was raised from the dead, having borne the curse of death for you, if Christ died for you, then there is no way that your sins can ever condemn you. Because when Christ bore your sins, he removed them from you. They have been taken away. They are gone. You are forgiven. And God will not bring them back against you to accuse you. Secondly, in his exaltation, Christ continues to pray for you in heaven. Uh, just as Jesus uh, prayed for Peter uh, before Peter denied Jesus, uh, he prayed that his faith would not fail. So I believe it's safe to say that when we are tested as the disciples of Jesus today, when we are brought or when we experience temptation, when we are tested, that Jesus prays for us, that our faith will not fail. And if you have the Son of God interceding on your behalf to the Father, if you have the Son of God praying for you before the Father, is it even remotely possible that you will fall away from him? And the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, he works for your salvation by indwelling in you, by his gracious work in you, the Spirit of Christ is the spirit of the resurrected Christ. He is the spirit who possesses divine power. And by that divine power, he not only unites you to Jesus Christ, but he keeps you united to Christ. And by his power, he is at work in you, working repentance, giving, giving grace so that you may acknowledge your sin and turn from it and confess it. He sustains your faith in Christ. He continues to uphold you and sustain you in your walk with the Lord. Uh, Peter says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, or Paul says rather, 
that we have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in different ways work for our salvation. And if we are to say then, if we are to say that a Christian can lose his salvation, that is possible for one who has once been genuinely transformed by the grace of God, is a new creature in Christ, that now he is no longer in Christ. If that can be true, then what we are saying is this, that the Father has failed. He has failed in his purpose of election, that the Son of God has failed in his death on the cross, in making atonement for our sins, that the Spirit has failed in his work in keeping you united with Christ. And what kind of God does that leave us with? This is not a God who is mighty to save, uh, to use the language of Isaiah. This is not a God who is even worthy of our worship. This is a God, if we can lose our salvation, it is a, we're left with a God who has the best of intentions, but he cannot overcome the sin and the unbelief of, of his creatures. If we can lose our salvation, then we have a God who cannot overcome our enemies. To say that we can lose our salvation is really to say something about God that isn't true. It is to diminish his power, his grace, his glory. But praise God, he is not like that. Praise be to God that he is almighty in power, that he is perfect in faithfulness, that his loving purposes for his people, his saving purpose for us cannot fail. He will accomplish all his holy will because he is God and God never changes. And therefore, God not only can, but he does bring he does bring to glory each and every one whom he has brought to Christ. And as we consider this, this is just another way. And we have uh, seen this from different perspectives as we have been looking at the various works of God's grace and this order of salvation. But here's another way in which our salvation is shown to be a work entirely of the grace of God, that our redemption is not the result of us or what we have done, but wholly a result of God's grace, his mercy. If you know yourself well, you know that there is in you no spiritual or moral strength by which you may persevere in faith. You know how weak you are. You know how easily you succumb to temptation. You know that were it up to your own strength and power, you would soon fall away. And no matter how strong-willed you may be by nature, no matter how tenacious, no matter how determined you may be, the truth of the matter is, if it were not for the grace of God to sustain you and me, to keep us in Christ by his power, we would, just like Peter, suddenly, we would deny the Lord Jesus Christ. We would do even worse. We would be like Judas. By our actions, we would betray the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of Peter. There was no one who was more determined to be faithful to Jesus than he was on the night that Jesus was arrested. Peter boasted before Jesus and all the disciples that he would be faithful to Christ even unto death. And humanly speaking, if we were to hear Peter say those words that night, we probably would believe him. Peter seems to us from the scripture to be 
a person of very strong personality, strong will, determined. If anyone was going to succeed in anything he set his mind to do, that would be Peter. But he folded. Look how quickly he denied Jesus. When a servant girl said, you are one of him, you, you are one of his followers, are you not? And what kept Peter from the fate of Judas? What kept Peter from entering into that byway to hell because of his denial of Christ? It was Jesus. It was Jesus. It was the fact that Jesus was praying for Peter. It wasn't because Peter found within himself the resources to turn back again to Christ, but it was because Christ interceded for him and was merciful to him and restored him to himself. It was several hundred years later after Peter that John Newton wrote the words to Amazing Grace, but had Peter heard them, he would have said, Amen. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. So by the grace of God, we persevere in faith. And so you have every reason then to believe in the truth of perseverance because the scriptures teach it, the character of God guarantees it. But this is not just a doctrine for you and I to understand and to believe intellectually and to be able to articulate, but this is a truth that God has given to us in his word to comfort us. It is a truth that is meant to speak to our hearts. Paul says in Romans 8.37 that in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. One of the great things about being a Christian is knowing that as, as a believer in Christ, that I'm on the winning side. As a Christian, you are on the winning side. Uh, to use a phrase that's popular today, in the most ultimate sense, as a Christian, you are on the right side of history because history is God's sovereign work in bringing about his redemptive purposes, his salvation for his people. But that doesn't always seem so obvious, does it? We live in a world that is groaning under the curse of sin. We are affected in so many ways by, by unrighteousness and evil that is in the world, but even more than that, there is still sin within you and me. There is still corruption in our hearts. And there are times when you, as a Christian, you are engaged in an intense battle against sin and temptation. And we all struggle with sin. And there are times when we fail. We succumb to temptation. We find ourselves repeating the same patterns of sin that we, that we long to be set free from, but are so, that have such a grip on us. And there are times when you feel more like an unbeliever than a believer. And I'm sure there are times when you can identify with Peter. Well, you may not have verbally denied knowing the Lord, but you know that by your words or by your actions, you have, in effect, denied the knowledge of Christ. And you may wonder, have I gone so far? Have I sinned my way out 
of God's grace and favor. And not only that, but in this life, you and I must endure suffering of all kinds, illness and disease, the sorrow and pain of broken relationships, uh, the frustration of having our hopes and our plans uh, brought to nothing. And there's many other ways in which we suffer. And there are times, uh, those are the times in which the evil one whispers lies into our ears that this is happening to you. It can only be happening to you because God has forsaken you. You are no longer with him. He has abandoned you. But praise God that through it all, no matter how bad things be, that no matter how bad things may get, that as a Christian, you can be sure of this one thing, that the final victory is yours. God's promise is yours, that you will be raised to new life, that you will be brought into a world in which there is no more suffering. You will be set free forever from sin and temptation. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And that victory is ours today. We are already in Christ, victorious over sin and death. And yet we still wait for that final victory, that consummate victory, that ultimate conquering of sin and death forever. And that is promised us. That is guaranteed. We will be victors. We will be conquerors in that final day because already in Christ, you and I, our conquerors over all things. And this is our comfort as a Christian. This is your comfort in this world, that through sin, through temptation, through suffering, that God is bringing through, he is bringing you through all of that. It is all part of his purpose, his plan. He's bringing you to that final destination that he has prepared for you, your eternal home with Christ in glory. David said these words in Psalm 138. He said, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. God will not forsake the work of his hands. And we, as Christians, we are the work of his hands. He will fulfill his loving and his gracious purposes for us in Jesus Christ. He will give us grace to persevere to the end. Let's pray.